When you're in the market for a new car, you want a vehicle that conquers your daily commute, easily handles the elements, and looks great too. You need the reliability of a Toyota and the confidence that your investment will last. Why? Because after all the carpools, shopping trips, and weekends out, you want a car that still has plenty of miles left in it and holds its value for a great trade-in deal. That's where Toyota leads the pack as the number one resale value brand for 2024, according to Kelly Blue Book's KBB.com. So check out the all-new, fully redesigned 2025 Camry or test drive a stylish and affordable Corolla sedan or hatchback. And remember, when you choose Toyota, you're not just buying a car for today, you're investing in trade-in value for tomorrow. Visit buyatoyota.com, the official website for deals, for more. Vehicles projected resale value is specific to the 2024 model year. For more information, visit kellybluebookskbb.com. Kelly Blue Book is a registered trademark of Kelly Blue Book Company, Incorporated. Toyota, let's go places. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you strategies and ideas for how to build happier habits into your daily life. This week is episode 130, which means it's a very special episode, and we will talk about seven myths of happiness. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister of the sage, Elizabeth Kraft. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And Gretchen, we are going to have a little sister time soon because we're both going to podcast movement in Anaheim. Oh, yes. I cannot wait. I will wear my happier T-shirt. You will wear your happier in Hollywood T-shirt. We will roam the halls together. (laughs) We'll be walking around. Yes. Yes. I can't wait. Yeah. Now, Elizabeth, you are a sage, as I noted, and you are also an obliger in the Four Tendencies Framework. And many very careful and thoughtful listeners pointed out that in our recent episode 128, when we were talking about the question of whether a person can be a mix of tendencies, we misspoke. And we were talking about you as an obliger slash questioner, which people pointed out that's not possible. If you look at the graph, those two tendencies don't oversect. What we meant to say is that you are an obliger slash upholder. And if you look in the Four Tendencies book, I have it correct there. But sometimes in the heat of the moment, we get we get that we got tangled up in our own language. So anyway, gold star to all the listeners who are listening carefully enough to realize that that was kind of an impossible category. And indeed, Elizabeth is an obliger slash upholder. <laughs> I know. Even as I said that, it sounded weird, but I I just ignored that and went on. So thanks, everybody. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy to be part upholder. <laughs> Now, Gretch, I have to point out that you're counting down the days to the publication of The Four Tendencies, and it's only 27 days to go. Yes, I know. Very exciting. Now, in case people didn't hear about the pre-order bonus, why don't you describe it again? Because it's really cool. 
Yeah, well, thank you. Yes, I think these really did turn out well. And to say thank you for readers who pre-order The Four Tendencies, because it really does help a book a lot if people pre-order. I worked with this great production team to create a five-part video series. And together, they give a great overview of how to apply the framework. So the first one is an overview. And then there are four subject videos about how to apply the four tendencies at work, in a relationship, with a child or a student, you know, with children, and in healthcare. And once the book comes out, I'm going to charge for this video series. And truthfully, it's going to be fairly pricey. But to say thank you for people who Mm pre-order, it's free. And I wanted to do something that would reward loyal readers and listeners because I do so appreciate it. And plus, I keep hearing from people who are like, I'm sorry, I cannot wait for the book. I need to have an answer right now. I please email me back. (laughs) I was like, okay, let me give you something in the meantime. Now it's getting closer, but I, I put those out a little while ago. Um, But anyway, if you want to pre-order, you can get access to the videos right away, also for UK and Australia, and it is available to hardcover and digital. And yes, if you ordered months ago because you were such a loyal reader or listener and you get such a giant gold star, yes, you still qualify. You just email your order number in an email address to get the bonus. So to get it, you can go to GretchenRubin.com slash 4T bonus. That's the number four, the letter T and the word bonus, 4T bonus. Or you can go to HappierCast.com slash 130 slash resources to get it as always. And because it is the four tendencies, I will say this. Upholders, do your thing. Thank you. Questioners, it's more efficient and cost effective mm-hmm. to pre-order now. You'll get the book right away and you'll get the videos for mm-hmm. free. Uh, obligers, you really do help me if you pre-order now. It gives a big boost to the book. And I know how many people pre-order. I get a report every day. And so to show you how much I appreciate what you've done, I've created this free bonus for you. And Rebels, totally up to you. Whatever you want to do is great. So <laughs> thank you. And again, go to GretchenRubin.com slash 4 t bonus for that. Um, Okay, Gretchen, in episode 128 in the Know Yourself Better segment, we talked about whether when facing a difficult task, you prefer to tackle that right away or build up to it. And we didn't have a great phrase to sum up this (laughs) distinction. So we asked our listeners with extra gold star for rhyming. And not surprisingly, we got so many great suggestions. Yeah. Now, First thing to say is many, many people sent a version uh, that was uh, a twist on the idea of eating the frog, which if you're going to have to eat a frog, eat the frog first thing in your day, which allegedly refers to a quotation by Mark Twain. But it turns out that this is apocryphal. And actually, Mark Twain never said anything about eating the frog. Mm. So there you go. It's still a good phrase, though, eating the frog. (laughs) And then we heard from Bracca, who said an attacker is someone who likes to get the hardest thing done first, while a hacker likes to hack away at a to-do list doing smaller tasks first. And Jeff said, are you an instant or a distant? Which, good, gold star for rhyming. And Hillary had, do you like to do it fast or do it last? Also rhyming. Excellent. Another rhyming. (laughs) And then Sarah and several other people imagine the ways people can approach a swimming pool, dipping their toes in, entering gradually, or diving off the board. So this came to, are you a toe dipper or a high diver? Several people thought of racer or pacer. And then uh, Debbie said, hard tasks first or delay the worst. (laughs) That's funny. Uh, on the blo- on my blog, Kristen suggested, how about uphillers 
who like to go from easy to hard versus downhillers mm, who go from hard to easy. That's really good. I like that. Yeah. So thank you, everyone, for these awesome <laughs> phrases for what we were trying to say. I think we've got many to choose from, Gretch. Yes. Great job. And lots of rhymes. There are some stories about our father's life that I truly never get tired of hearing, from hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting. His retelling of the events always brings me joy. Just in time for Father's Day, I found the perfect gift that captures all his stories for our family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your father or father figure's life for years to come. And, Gretch, you get a book of all these stories. And I love just keeping a book on the coffee table and anyone from any generation can see a story from dad, like what was his favorite toy or what was his first job. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. Give all the fathers in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com happier. That's storyworth.com happier to save $10 on your first purchase. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. I now work with a team, and I am here to say that finding the right candidate and hiring the right candidate is one of the very biggest and most important challenges to anyone who has a small business. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, so now it's time for the very special episode topic of seven myths of happiness. So we're going to lay out the seven myths up at the top, and then we will go through them and discuss each one of them in turn. So myth number one, happy people are annoying and stupid. Myth number two, nothing changes a person's happiness level much. Myth number three, a treat will cheer you up. Myth number four, money can't buy happiness. Myth number five, you'll be happy as soon as you dot, dot, dot. Myth number six, spending some time alone will make you feel better. And myth number seven, the biggest myth, it's selfish to try to be happier. Yes. So these are seven myths of happiness. So let's take the first one, Elizabeth. Myth number one, people find happy people annoying and stupid. (laughs) And I think a a perfect encapsulation of this viewpoint is in Annie Hall, the iconic movie by uh, Woody Allen, where the character of Alvy Singer, who's played by Woody Allen, um, he's walking down the street on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, and he sees this gorgeous couple walking down the street. They look very happy, and he stops them to ask them the secret. Here, you, you look like a very happy couple. Um, are you? Yeah. Yeah? So, so how, how do you account for it? Uh, I'm very shallow and empty, and I have... No ideas and nothing interesting to say. 
And I'm exactly the same way. I see. Wow. That's very interesting. So you've managed to work out something, huh? Right. Oh. I do love that movie. Oh, my, now it's so good. But actually, Gretchen, studies show that people find happy people much more likable than their less happy peers. Happy people are viewed as friendlier, smarter, warmer, less selfish, more self-confident, and more socially skilled, even more physically attractive. Yeah, so this idea that if someone's happy, that other people are going to be turned off by it, that's just not really how we react. We do tend to find happy people are attractive. It's easier to make friends with them. Um, They tend to get more sexual support. Happier people tend to find it easier to get married and stay married. They're happier in marriage. At work, they get more support and assistance from their coworkers and their bosses. And so this idea that we're like turned off by happiness isn't really borne out by what the research shows. Yeah, I mean, Gretchen, my friend Nancy, Mm. uh, Nancy Lane, is the happiest person I know. And people are drawn to her. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's moths to a flame. I Mm -hmm. mean, she is a magnet because she is so happy. She makes everyone around her happy. I mean, often in my darkest moments, and not even that things are going so wrong, it's more, say, an annoying series of events is occurring and I'm getting really crabby. I try to imagine that I'm Nancy dealing with the situation. Because I'm like, if Nancy were here, she'd be cracking jokes, she'd be lighthearted, she'd probably be making everyone feel good. So, you know, how can I channel my happy Nancy and, you know, be happy. Well, another thing that you're pointing out is emotional contagion, which is this idea that we infect other people with our emotions. And we do that when we're in their presence, when we're talking to them on their phone, when we're even glancing at a photograph of them, we kind of are passing emotions back and forth. And so when people are happier, it can lift us up. And when people are less happy, then we have to manage the fact that we're getting that emotional kind of drag on ourselves. Um, it's interesting, too, that I mean, about this idea that um, people find happy people annoying and stupid. Um, it is true mm-hmm. that many people associate happiness with a lack of intellectual rigor. But actually, research shows that happiness and intelligence are essentially unrelated. Maybe that's because of the whole ignorance is bliss phrase. You know, uh, you think, well, you're happier if you just don't know what's going on around you. It's fu- It's funny to me. Happiness myth number two is that people have a happiness set point and kind of no matter what happens to them, they will tend to snap back to their usual happiness level. This is something that a lot of people say. Have you heard this, Elizabeth? Yeah, I've heard that people are just wired a certain way um, and, you know, their happiness level is what it is. Yeah. Well, it is true that there is a powerful genetic link to happiness and usually research puts it at about 40 to 50 percent. So, you know, just like in the story of Winnie the Pooh, some people are born more Tigerish and some people are born more Eeyore-ish. And then about 10 to 20 percent is estimated to be a function of life circumstance. So life circumstances, mm-hmm. things like age, health, income, marital status, occupation, education, and then all the rest it turns out, is very much influenced by our conscious thoughts and actions. And that is where the kind of things that we talk about here on Happier, what you and Sarah talk about in Happier in Hollywood, come into play, because this is the way that you can, you know, you're given your genetic makeup, your life circumstances are either not changing or not changing very fast, 
But all the rest is very much something that you can control fairly easily. Yeah. Even if it's not your entire, you know, happiness basket, it's like if you improve yourself by any percentage, you're going to feel the difference. Yeah. And I think that's a way to think about it. It's very helpful. It's not that somebody has a set point, but more like they have a set range. And people's set ranges are different. So one person might naturally range between seven and 10, and another person might naturally range between six and nine. So their natural ranges are different, but they can do things within their own power to to make sure they're up at the top of their natural range instead of letting themselves drift down to the bottom of their natural range. Yeah. And in terms of like the snapping back phenomenon, for instance, like I could say about Sarah, my writing partner. When she had her daughter, Violet, she went way up on the happiness scale. I mean, it was such a change. And she stayed there for five years now. Right. She, so I think she's not going to snap back anytime soon. Right, right. The, she changed things enough that she lifted her the, where she was on her range. And a way that you see this more commonly is in a job. You know, somebody has a job that they hate and they're just it's just dragging down their happiness and then they get a job that they really like and then they're much happier and it's like their genetic makeup is the same. Their life circumstances are probably pretty much the same or maybe very much the same and yet by doing something consciously like switching jobs, you know, you can make a very dramatic change in your experience of your life. Like how happy do you feel day to day? Yeah, so I think it's it's more helpful to think about a range mm-hmm. than a than a, s- a single set point. So people do have the power to be happier. They don't have to feel powerless to their own <laughs> nature. They can overcome. Yes. I am an Eeyore. I know this. I know the temptation <laughs> to just wallow. Don't do it. Yeah, well, and here's, speaking of wallowing, here's something that comes up when a person is in a blue mood. I know that you have felt this and I have felt this. And this is happiness myth number three, which is, Oh, yeah, go ahead and have that treat. That treat is going to cheer you up. And the fact is, some treats do, but some treats like make me feel better for a minute, but they don't make me feel better overall. That's the difference between a healthy treat and an unhealthy treat. Yes. And Gretchen, I mean, this one is probably of all these seven myths, the one that most applies to me. Oh, (laughs) because I definitely fall prey to unhealthy treats, especially when I'm working a lot. Yeah. Because it's, you know, the classic, I deserve this and this will make me happy. And then, of course, in the morning, I wish I hadn't had all of those wheat thins. I wish I hadn't stayed up watching the three hour bachelor finale, (laughs) you know, or I wish I hadn't had a second glass of wine or whatever it is. In the moment, I convince myself that I'm going to be happier. And I not only convince myself I will be happier, I go, I will regret it if I don't do this. Mm. I'll wake up in the morning and say, why did I sleep? I should have stayed up and watched The Bachelor. Yeah. I convince myself of this. Well, so, you know, we've talked about treats a lot on the podcast. I think that treats are really important and something that people shouldn't dismiss as being sort of a minor aspect of life. I think we need treats because we need to get that energy. We need to feel like we're taking care of ourselves. We need to feel like if we've had a hard day or something's tough, that there's some way that we can kind of be that cell phone that gets plugged into the wall. And in Better Than Before, my book where I talk about habit change, I talk about the 21 strategies of habit change. And definitely the most fun strategy is the strategy of treats. But as you say, you have to be careful not to give yourself unhealthy treats. And you hit some of the big ones. The big ones for most people are screen time, 
shopping, which you did not mention, and food and drink. Those are the three unhealthy treats that come up the most. And so when you're trying to cheer yourself up, when you're thinking, I need to do something to make myself feel better, you want to think, is this going to make me feel better over the long run? Or is it just going to make me feel better right now? And in the long run, it's going to make me feel worse. Right. Again, back to better than before, I have the my favorite chapter to work on was the strategy of loophole spotting. And you put your finger on one of the loopholes that comes up a lot, which is um, what I call the fake self-actualization loophole, which is when you say something like, well, it's more life embracing to indulge in this. Like, mm. you know, I should let myself live a little bit. What's one brownie? What's one glass of wine? You know, fear of missing out, you know, and really to say to yourself, this is a loophole. I will not be sorry tomorrow if I time shift watching The Bachelor or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I do think it's good for everybody to have a long list of healthy treats so that when you do have mm-hmm. that grabby feeling of I need it, I deserve it, I want it, there's things that you can think of. You, you, you don't have an empty basket. Like for me, you know, working on my color obsession, mm-hmm. when I work on my color stuff, it kind of feels like I'm playing hooky for myself. Right. And sometimes I feel like doing that. And so it's kind of nice to have this thing where I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to go off and read a book about color right now in the middle of the work day. <laughs> so that brings us to myth number four, which is that money can't buy happiness. Now, of course, money can't buy happiness. That's true. But money can buy many things that contribute mightily to happiness. And money is kind of like health in that in a very large degree, it affects us more in the negative, like not mm-hmm. having your health, not having money. You're very aware of its impact on your happiness. But then once you have it, if you have good health, if you have enough money to pay your bills, it's easy to take it for granted. So one thing to do is to really try to feel grateful. Like when I have to pay bills, because I still I'm such a Luddite, I still pay most of my bills by hand with a check. Mm -hmm. I try to say to myself, it's a pain to pay bills, but how fortunate I am that I can write this check to the dry cleaner or whatever. And to experience that as something that I feel grateful for instead of taking it for granted. Yes. And of course, one of the best things money can buy is the freedom not to worry about money. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And also, depending on how you spend money, you could spend money in a way that boosts your happiness. So for instance, you know, philosophers from ancient times and contemporary scientists agree that strong relationships are a key to happiness. And money can allow you to buy that plane ticket to go visit your sister. You know how like when Mm -hmm. we were younger, our parents would pay for us to visit each other to keep our relationship strong. Or you can have a babysitter for a date night with your sweetheart. Or you can have a Super Bowl party for your friends. You can go to a reunion. These are things that are going to help you keep relationships strong. And money can make it easier to do those things. Yeah. And then it can also help with novelty and challenge, which make you happier. Like money can pay for a trip to France or for a drawing class or for a mountain bike. Yeah. I mean, is money essential for, you know, doing something like developing strong ties to other people? No. Is it essential to finding ways to challenge yourself? No. But it can make it easier if you are spending your money wisely. And it just, I think it depends on what kind of person you are and how you spend your money and how that impacts your level of happiness. Yeah, there was recently this research that came out about this, like what are people spending their money on and how does that affect their happiness that showed that one of the good, a good way to spend money to get more happiness 
is to pay people to do chores that you don't want to do. And that they looked all, you know, people in all different circumstances. And what they saw was that people who used money to save time Mm. were happier. And however, people rarely think about this as like, well, this is a good way for me to spend my money because it's going to save me time. And that's going to make that's going to boost my happiness. So it's interesting to think about, okay, I have a limited amount of money. How can I get the most bang for my buck? Like, what are the ways that I could spend it? You know, like if you spend your money to buy a dog, that's probably going to make you happier than if you spend your money to like buy cocaine, Um, you know, at the extreme. (laughs) What you spend your money on makes a difference and how much a bang you get from it. Yeah. And I think a lot of people like feel, oh, I should clean my own house. But the truth is, if you can afford to have help cleaning your house, that can free up a lot of time to do the things you really want to do and those things that really boost happiness. And it's different for everyone, of course, because everyone's in different circumstances. Everyone has different values. Everybody has different things that they want to engage with. Some people really want to travel. Some people want to stay home and eat at the diner around the corner like me. You know, so it it all sort of depends. But I think that just saying like, oh, well, money has no role to play. It's a very emotionally charged subject within happiness. But I think it's worth thinking about because, you know, if you have a limited amount of time, energy, and money, it's how do you get the most happiness from the time, energy, and money that you have. So that brings us to happiness myth number five, which is I'll be happy as soon as I dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Um, And it's easy to imagine, I certainly have this, where you think, okay, as soon as I hit this mark, as soon as I get this job, as soon as I make partner, as soon as I get tenure, as soon as I get married, as soon as I get my promotion, as soon as I have a baby, as soon as I move, as soon as my book comes out, or as soon as I hand in my proposal, or as soon as my website redesign is finished, then I'll be happy. But guess what? You know, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, Gretch, this is the one, the other of the seven myths that I most relate to, aside (laughs) from the unhealthy treat. Yeah, I always feel like I'm just waiting for that certain thing to happen and then I'll be happy. I'll even like push off my own happiness because I'll feel like, well, I shouldn't feel happy now. I shouldn't feel happy until the script is done, you know, or whatever it is. And that's just ridiculous. Well, what do you mean? That's so interesting. What do you mean? Like you don't allow yourself to sort of relax into the feeling of happiness or contentment. You feel like, oh, this I have to put I have to stay worked up about this and yes, be happier I, later. I sometimes feel guilty if I feel happy, ah, which I've talked about yes. happier in Hollywood. Yes. I think I've talked about it here, too. Yes. And so I feel like, oh, I'll be happy as soon as I do this task. It's completed. Then I can be happy. Then I can relax. Um, yeah. Yes. And then I'll deserve it. Well, I've seen this um, described as the arrival fallacy, um, meaning that the fallacy of believing that once you arrive at a certain destination, then you'll be happy. And the reason that it's a fallacy is that because as we've been talking about, arriving rarely makes you as happy as you expect, partly because by the time you've arrived there, you're already kind of expecting it. So by the time my website redesign launches, mm-hmm. it's like I'm over it, you know, or t- the time yeah. my book comes out, it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, uh, finally, you don't have that feeling of kind of ecstatic completion that in prospect, it's easy to imagine that and it doesn't really happen. And then another thing that I found, Elizabeth, I don't know about you, but a lot of times like you get to that destination and it's like now a bank of clouds parts and you see a whole new 
set of things that you have to do in front of you. It's not like it's rare that you like do something like win an award mm-hmm. and then you're like, oh, it's great. I won an award and I don't have any other work to do or there's nothing f- that comes from it. A lot of times when something you arrive somewhere, it comes with its own tasks and responsibilities, which then set you up for further arrival fallacy issues. <laughs> yes. And it, I think it's just a thing of we all feel like external factors are going to make us happy. Yeah. And yes, there are external factors that come into play, but it's really about your internal self and and not about, you know, validation from peers or whatever. Well, and then, you know, dad always says, you know, when his famous phrase, uh, enjoy the process. And I think that is a really good thing to keep in mind um, if you're facing this, the kind of the playing of this myth in your head, because you can be happy while you're experiencing the atmosphere of growth, while you're working towards that goal. This actually has a name. It's called pre-goal attainment positive affect. Um, which is just the good feeling that you get when you see yourself making progress toward a goal. Sometimes it's more fun to make progress toward a goal. And then it's kind of anticlimactic when you hit the goal. And so if you can remind yourself to enjoy the process, you don't wait for the ecstasy of arrival, which might not Mm. happen. And you just enjoy it along the way. I do this all the time with my books. I'm always like, never have I had so much fun writing a book as I am writing this book. I should just Mm. enjoy writing the book. It'll be nice to finish it, but I should enjoy writing it because it's going to take me two years. You know? <laughs> yes. Be happy for two years as yes. opposed to just that one day. Yes. It, yes. It yes. It's a much better deal. Yes. So everyone enjoy the process. <laughs> yes. Now yes. is the fun part. Now is the good part. Yes. So happiness myth number six, you know, this is pretty straightforward, which is sometimes when you're not feeling happy, it's easy to think like, oh, if I just spend some time alone, I'll feel better. And this can be true. It's not always untrue. But often you're going to be happier if you do try to connect with other people um, and you don't pull away. Yes. I think a lot of people feel like they want to retreat. They want to just get under the covers and not see people when they're depressed, but that just makes everything worse. Yeah. No. So there's, there's restorative solitude, which like I need tons and tons of solitude, but often when I am feeling blue, it's like, I'm just trying to cut myself off. It's like, I can't deal. I'm like, I can't deal with other people. I can't make conversation. But then if I do, I feel a really big boost. And research shows that, in fact, people do tend to get a boost from engaging with other people. So it's actually, if you're feeling lousy, it's a reason to try to connect with other people if you can, because often it will make you feel better. Yeah, it's funny. I rarely have this feeling. This is one that doesn't apply to me. I I can't even think of the last time I was like, I just need to be alone and be isolated. I always like being with people. That is so interesting to me. I need so much time alone. So again, it's like people are different, you know, and that's another thing that you have to take into account is you're figuring out how that myth does or does not apply to you. And now, ta-da, it's happiness myth number seven, (laughs) the biggest myth, the final myth, the, you know, magical number seven is that it's selfish and self-centered to try to be happier, Mm. which surprise, surprise, Elizabeth, given our podcast is called Happier, we disagree (laughs) with that premise. Yeah, I mean, Gretchen, I feel like the whole reason you even started talking about happiness and writing about happiness and analyzing happiness is because of how much you disagree with this sentiment. Yeah. I think that this feeling that it's selfish to want to be happier comes in two forms. One is to think... My life is so full of comforts and security. If I want to be happier, I must be totally spoiled. Mm -hmm. And the other is to think, 
well, in a world so full of suffering, it's not morally appropriate to want to be happier. Mm. But in fact, research shows that happier people are more altruistic. They're more concerned about the problems of other people. They're more concerned about the problems of the world. They give away more money. They volunteer more time. They're more likely to help out if somebody needs a hand. You know, when we're less happy, we it's easy to become kind of defensive and isolated and, you know, preoccupied with our own problems. And then when we're happier, it's easier to turn outward and to think about how to help other people and how to engage with the world. Because it's just we we just have the energy to do that. Yeah, I, I know it's true for for me. Like when I'm happy, I'm much more magnanimous. I'm much yes. more willing to do a favor, make a call. Yep give somebody money, whatever it is. And when I'm feeling down, I'm like, you know, forget you. I, <laughs> yeah. I'm, not, I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about me. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because people kind of know that one of the best ways to make yourself happy is to make other people happy. But if you're feeling very unhappy, sometimes it's hard to do that. You're like, I just don't have the resources inside myself to extend to help somebody else, even though I know it would make me happier and it would be the nice right thing to do. But it turns mm-hmm. out that just as one of the best ways to make yourself happy is to make other people happy, one of the best ways to make other people happy is to be happy yourself. Because when you're happy, then you're more able to think about the happiness of others. So you're not being selfish. You're being a good person by trying to be happy. That's right. If it is selfish to want to be happier, you should be selfish, if only for selfless reasons. Um, so let us know what you think about these myths. Do you agree? Disagree? Did we overlook something important? Uh, let us know on Twitter, Facebook, email us at podcast at GretchenRubin.com, or as always, go to happiercast.com slash 130 for everything related to this episode. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Okay, it's time for demerits and gold stars. Elizabeth, it's your turn to have a demerit. Yes. So, Gretch, earlier in the summer, I gave myself a demerit for not designing Jack's summer properly. Yeah. Okay. So we talked about that. Now summer is winding down. And one of the things that I intended passionately to do this summer was to have some play dates with families that we've been wanting to get together with, but hadn't had time to do so you know, yeah. during the year. Yeah. Um, and I, I haven't. I, I've gotten together with people, but just the same people that we always get together with, not with new people. And it's just really bumming me out because here I had this whole summer and I just didn't reach out to anybody who I'd talked about reaching out to because I don't know why. 
I mean, part of it, I mean, from the outside, I would say, like, you are in the rush hour. I mean, you are, you've got so much going on. You know, this is your busy time. For other people, this is kind of the summer. It sort of has a leisurely air to you. But for you, this is one of the most intense times. And, you know, sometimes it's like you can't use every available minute in some highly efficient way because you just you just need your downtime. You know, again, it's about this emotional resources to cope with logistics and all that business. Yeah, it does take the mental bandwidth to be yeah. like, okay, let me think about yeah. when we can do this and email and ask, can you do this yes. at this time? And then if you can't, find another time yes. and that whole yeah. thing. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah, it's just, nonetheless, it's like I want it summer to feel like summer and maybe I'm just being unrealistic that it's going to feel anything but, you know, kind of like a grind. But, you know, maybe I'll switch it up to fall and say, gosh, I, I want to have all these different kind of play dates in fall. Well, we'll Sept- see how it goes. September is the other January. That is true. <laughs> um, so that's my happiness to merit. Um, Gretch, what's your gold star this week? This is a multimedia gold star. Um, as you said, it's a television show that I love. It's also books that I love. It's a podcast that I love. And that is the world of Game of Thrones. I have wow. read all the George R. R. Martin novels twice. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of reading time. I have watched the television show, most of the episodes, more than once. I actually, I'm a person who likes to reread and to rewatch. I, I, mm. I know some people, you never do that, Elizabeth, but I do that a lot. And Game of Thrones is something mm. that really rewards rereading and rewatching. So for somebody like me who likes to rewatch and reread, that's a benefit. I found this podcast called Binge Mode um, with the host Mallory Rubin and Jason Concepcion from The Ringer. And they just talk at very, very great length about Game of Thrones, episode by episode. Love it. <laughs> Love the theme song. It has one of the most amazing theme songs of all time, opening sequences. Like, there's a little bit of the theme song. Yeah, Gretch, as soon as I hear that music, I'm both excited and filled with dread because I know something <laughs> awful is about to happen to someone in the next hour. Um, and I, I'm like, oh, God, now I have I have to like and of course I have to watch it because I love it. But I dread what I'm about to see. Well, the good thing about rewatching it is you can skip all the Theon parts. <laughs> right. That's good. <laughs> Yeah, so I give a big gold star to all of the creators and actors and podcasters and writers and everybody involved at Game of Thrones because it has given me so many hours of extremely intense pleasure with dragons. I always want there to be dragons. Yeah, I got to jump in on this gold star, Gretch, because I love Game of Thrones and it's given me a lot to talk about in the writer's room um, during lunch. So yes. Thank you, Game of Thrones. Well, very good point, because we've talked about connecting with TV. And like, I was able to connect with mom and dad about it, because it turns out they've been watching Game of Thrones. So questions like, who do you think is going to die next? Or who do you want to win? Ultimately, these are ways to connect with TV. And speaking of happiness myths, I think people sometimes think like, well, TV can't make you happier, or technology is just a big drag on everyone's happiness. And yet, Again, it's used wisely. Every medicine can become poison, but used wisely. And when you you really pick the things that make you happier, something like TV can really boost happiness. So, yes, gold star. Many gold stars. 
And that's it for this episode of Happier. Do you agree? Do you disagree with our seven myths of happiness? What do you think is a myth of happiness that we overlooked? Let us know what you think. We're eager to hear your views. Thank you to our producer, Kristen Meinzer. Also, thanks to Andy Bowers of Panoply. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. If you like this show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us. The resources for this week, again, if you want that pre-order bonus of the five videos for free, you can go to GretchenRubin.com slash 4T bonus, or you can just go to HappierCast.com slash resources as usual, and I'll have the link there. And I'll also there put a link to the where you can sign up if you would like book plates or signature cards. This is for U.S. and Canada only. I'm sorry because of mailing costs. Um, but if you want to request a, a free signed personalized book plate or signature card for your new copy of Four Tendencies or for someone else to make it a good gift, I'm very happy to mail that to you. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and Upward. <laughs>